This episode of the Shooting Brooks podcast is brought to you by Thrive Fantasy. Do you want to make some quick cash on sports betting but don't really know how? Well, come hashtag prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. They have eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top tier athletes in a specific sport. For instance, if you're interested in the NFL on Thrive Fantasy, you choose 10 out of the 20 player propositions to build your lineup. NFL not your thing? Not a problem. For the NBA, MLB, PGA, or eSports, you choose 5 out of 10 player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood to happen. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. If you're into the PGA, Thrive has new contests for each day of tournaments, so don't sweat it if your golfers ruin your weekend by not making the cut. Since launching in 2018, Thrive has awarded over $1.3 million in prizes. Ready to play? You can download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website www.thrivefantasy.com. Don't forget to use our promo code SBPOD when you sign up today to receive an instant $20 bonus on your first deposit of $20 or more. Sign up and hashtag prop up today. Welcome back to this episode of the Shooting Bricks podcast. And guys, I know that there's been a lot that's happened. We've dealt with a strike. There was a bunch of different things going on in the league. A bunch of teams got eliminated, which we'll get to in a minute. But I'm actually looking forward to what's going to happen in these next coming weeks. I don't know about you guys, but we'll get into that. But first, as always, I'm Jared Castillo, and I'm joined by... Uh, I am Daniel Huynh. Uh Before I introduce the other host, I just want to say, rest in power, uh, my king. Rest in rest, rest in power, Chadwick. And uh, joining us, it's your boy Relly Rail, Jarrell Sells, and I second that, Chadwick Boseman. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever, indeed. And that was one of the things that truly caught me off guard because going into the sports realm, he portrayed Jackie Robinson in the movie 42. And when was that? 2016, 2018, something like that. One of those two years. Personally, uh, sorry sorry to interrupt, but uh, personally uh, 42 uh, is not the best movie sports movie in the upper echelons, but it's uh, pretty good. But Chadwick Boseman's performance as Jackie Robinson is, should be counted as one of the greatest portrayals in sports movie history. It should be considered. To go off of that point, he portrayed that role so well, and we during this time, nobody even knew that he was going through something, right? This completely came out of the blue. Because um, when, what was it, Saturday, Friday, when whenever the news broke, I just... Saturday, I think. I, yeah. When the news broke, I just, I was about to have dinner with my mom. I just sat there, I, I just kept scrolling through Twitter, because I didn't think it was possible because he looked so full of life. He looked so spry and you never really know what anyone's going through until, you know, they actually tell you. And I just want to point out that I like the fact that his family and his group of people 
controlled the situation and didn't allow anyone else to give this news out. Um, I really like that. And just to piggyback off of what you guys were saying, I feel like he, he excelled in each and every role that he played, even if we're looking at movies like 21 Bridges, which can be arguably not one of the best movies, but with whatever he's in, he's excelling in it. So shout out to him. Um, going, he shows like he's like, like we said, he's a real life superhero. He went through that for this whole four, four years, four or five years. Right. And delivered so many movies for us and always did it with a smile on his face. Didn't have anything negative to say to all the people that were saying negative things about him, whether it be like him losing his weight and us not knowing why, what the reason was behind that. So just, I just like his whole demeanor and his, how he handled his situation. So appreciative of what he's brought to the cinematic universe, but also to the hope in the showcasing of a, of a powerful black man in America. So just grateful for him and being able to watch a lot of his movies. Um, folks may not see it now, uh, especially those, you know, who are fans of, you know, the Marvel cinematic universe uh, because of Chadwick Boseman, like if it wasn't for him, like there would be no Shang-Chi, there would possibly be no black widow, um, I mean, Black Panther was the reason why so many of these uh, movies with, you know, starring minority characters are in the works or, you know, even starting to film now. So, like, they may, like, people may not even notice for now, but in, in the coming years, people begin to realize and accept, like, that that was how tremendous his impact was. Absolutely, absolutely. You can't underscore his impact just by doing that movie alone. So, you know, it's uh, it sucks what happened, but, you know, at least we can we can be happy about all the things that he he did for the world while he was here. So, on on a lighter note, there was a lot that happened in the in the realm of basketball while while we were away. Um, the Lakers dispatched, dispatched, excuse me, the Clipper or the Blazers, and the Clippers beat the Mavericks. Um, I just want to ask you guys this because this is potentially a Western Conference finals matchup do you think that this is set in stone or do you think that there are other teams that could potentially play spoilers because looking at it now i don't think if whoever the the lakers face they're not going to beat the lakers whoever well the clippers are facing the nuggets they're not going to beat the clippers so is it set in stone or do you think that there's going to be some sort of spoiler i will say this i think um i'm gonna say there i don't think there is going to be a spoiler um, you may have a couple of teams that may give, like you know, the superpowers a run for their money, but to me, that's not even the most important point. The most important point was I think the Dallas series with the Clippers were in kind of showed something to me. Um, even if the Clippers make it to the Western Conference Finals, I think the Lakers are going to beat them in six or seven games. I am saying that right now. I just think there was something odd about that Dallas series that kind of proved that kind of made me think, you know. I think there's blood in the water. I think the Clippers were kind of, kind of like their weaknesses were kind of exposed in that Dallas series, and I think it kind of convinced me that they're actually indeed beatable. And and, and the Lakers are kind of different. While they kind of struggled at first, but they have shown their ability to adjust over time, and they have gotten better ever since that game one loss against Portland. I, I don't think there's going to be any spoilers. Uh... I honestly felt like the Jazz were better fit to take on the Clippers, in my opinion, as far as um, size-wise. I just think – I'm sorry, Jokic, he's amazing offensively, but I just always see him as, you know, Kawhi Leonard's going to blow by whoever you have as your wing uh, defender and just get a dunk on Jokic. 
And that's always going to just replay in my mind. Um, and then to factor in, the Nuggets are still a young team, and it was showcased in the final moments of the Jazz game where they tried to get a bucket when they were up to, there was 10 seconds remaining, and all you had to do was dribble the ball out. And we we learned this in freaking high school. So I just I just think that inexperience is just going to derail them ultimately. And you see how much of a struggle they have with the Utah Jazz. So just think about the Clippers. Now, uh, to piggyback or off of what Daniel said uh, about the Lakers against the Clippers, I'm not saying I'm worried or scared, but I just feel like the Clippers' toughness can potentially get us in a couple of games, especially in the beginning, because no offense to the Lakers. I'm not saying they're soft, but the Clippers are kind of rowdy, roughy, rough a little bit. You know, they're going to play defense. They're going to they're gonna do what they have to do. They're going to have the little rat. Uh, I'm sorry, I keep calling him animal names. I just need to stop doing that. But they're going to have uh, Patrick Beverly. He's an irritant. And we've seen it within the regular season. He's getting under our skin. And what our X factor was against the, the Clippers within the season is not in the bubble. That's Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley brought some toughness. Marquise Morris brings toughness, but it's like, it's not really doing much. Avery Bradley brings toughness, but he's not barking at you. He's going to get in your skin and rip the ball away from you. And that's the only thing that I feel the Clippers have the, the, the biggest advantage of over us because I feel like Anthony Davis is going to eat. He needs to eat. He needs to be aggressive. He needs to come out there with all the energy. LeBron James doesn't need to play around. This no laughing, having fun with your team, but go straight for their necks. Um, my only issue is the the toughness and Kawhi Leonard because Kawhi Leonard is a different breed, man. I I don't. I'm not tripping about pandemic P. He's gonna probably get buckets, but and Lou Williams gonna get buckets, but Kawhi Leonard. That's that's the X factor right there. Yeah, and it's a good thing you bring up that point because. Before they meet in the conference finals, right, the Clippers have to face the Nuggets. And I was looking at some some stats and stuff like that. And when Kawhi is facing uh, Jamal Murray, Murray was three for 11, two from eight, from three, for eight points and two turnovers. And if whoever's, whoever's being guarded by Kawhi, good luck. I mean, that's just – I mean, LeBron knows in 2014 – when I don't know if you guys saw the clip, but whenever Kawhi was checking in, LeBron saw he's just like, damn. I don't know if you guys saw that clip. That yeah, was seen on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. So whoever whoever's being guarded by Kawhi, probably LeBron. Good luck. Um, but not to not to just shove aside the Jazz and the Nugget series. That was a pretty good series. Um, shout Best out to one the, by far. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the Nuggets for coming back. 3-1, so good, good on them, and something that I, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, guys, like, is it kind of weird? I don't know, maybe it's just me. Is it is it, like, stupid or smart to say, like, I kind of feel like, I have this really gut feeling that the Clippers, you know, uh, their, their, their chemistry levels may end their lack of time playing together in the regular season. Is it is it smart or dumb to say, like, I have a weird feeling that it's beginning to bite them, and I think it could by the Western Conference Finals, it could really catch up to them. Yeah, I could feel that. I mean, because there's a lot to be said about, you know, load management and all that garbage. But at the same time, you have to factor in that these dudes, yeah, you could practice all you want, but at the same time, practice, we talk about practice, doesn't necessarily hold up to actual game time. So you guys could be like buddy-buddy or whatever, but when the game starts and you guys don't know how to play with each other, 
Doesn't matter because, how good you are. Because maybe it's just me. Because like when I when I see the Lakers and the Clippers play in the bubble, it, it definitely feels like to me that the Lakers are much more of a cohesive unit than than the Clippers are. I feel with the Clippers are there's just a lot of bunch of talented people on the floor, and you know, and like Kawhi just leads the way. With the Lakers, I I I feel as if like the team, the whole team's trying to communicate with one another. LeBron, eighty, everyone. Do you feel That's, that way, Drew? <laughs> no. Um, I I agree I agree with what you're saying, but it's two separate. It's two different teams. Uh, when we when we look at the Clippers, no offense to my Lakers, but they have players that know what to do and have some type of counter of what to do. If that makes sense. They have three players on their team that can get a bucket whenever necessary. That's Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Lou Williams. And they have them spread out, right? We have them two starting and one coming off the bench. They have Montrez Harrell. Harrell knows what he wants to do. He's not no, – I'm not saying he's great, but he's going to try to attack the basket. If he doesn't get it, he's going to try to kick it back out. He knows what to do, and it's, 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 it's routine for him. They have players that are set in stone to do what they need to do. Zubats is not going to go shoot a mid-range three-point shot. He's going to stay in the paint, give you a little hook, rebound the ball. And compared to the Lakers, the Lakers are going to play solely through LeBron James and uh, Anthony Davis. There's little time that they really go outside the realm of doing something extra. And when they do, it looks silly. Kyle Kuzma, Alex Caruso, just dumb turnovers. J.R. Smith sometimes. KCP sometimes. Now, KCP has stepped up. He's not no Lou Williams, but he's our third option right now. Uh, And I just feel like comparatively so – our Lakers don't they're more they're more reliant on our superstars compared to the Clippers being more reliant on their superstars. I see Landry Shamit jacking up shots. He don't give a f he gonna shoot. <laughs> and I know Danny Green might do that at times too, but I just I just feel like it's different. So I I I agree with what you're saying, but it's just a different team. So if that makes sense. I don't I if that makes sense. It it does. And there's just a lot of different moving pieces, right, that you have to account for. And I think these next two series for both teams is going to be more of like a tune-up rather than anything else. Because the, whoever whoever faces the Lakers, they're be it the you know the Rockets or the Thunder, they're not gonna they're not gonna hold a candle to the Lakers. And that might be a controversial thing to say, but they're they're just not. Um, same thing with the Nuggets, they. Even though Jokic had a monster game seven, 30 points and 14 rebounds, and a game that Daniel would love because it's a throwback game from the bigs, you know, Gobert going 19 and 18, the Joker going off for his numbers. It's those players, as great as they are, they're just not good enough. Like, I'm sorry, but if you have if you have Nikola Jokic going up against who's a Montrez Harrell, right? That's not we we know who's gonna win. At least on at least the hustle, at least the athleticism, we know who's gonna win that matchup. And Tory Craig, who's he gonna he's gonna go up against Kawhi or Paul George, right? That's a you're done. I, I'm I'm sorry, you got nothing on those two guys. So it yeah, these next two series are basically just tune ups. I at least I think so. Do you guys agree? I, I'm going to have to honestly say yes. I just think um, – I think Houston could give LA uh, the Lakers a little bit more trouble. But at the end of the day, I just can't see Houston, like, like beating the Lakers. That's in, if in, they make it. 
Yeah, I mean that's if they make it. And, and if the Thunder advance, we we know how it's gonna go. It's gonna be, it's gonna probably be Lakers in five if OKC like makes it out tomorrow like tomorrow night. So I mean, and actually same thing, tonight. Oh, tonight. I I get my scheduling right. Uh, the Nuggets, same thing, same story. They they are like by far way behind the Clippers. The Clippers are a much better team. Tonight being Wednesday, uh, September second. Just yeah. so you guys know. Thank you for um, that clarification. Of course. So uh, I forgot what your first question was, Jared. <laughs> no, uh, basically these next two series for both teams, they're just they're just tune-up games, basically. Like maybe an additional five or six games of like you know the way the the bubble had those eight seating games. Just to like mm-hmm. tune things up, I guess that's gonna that's how it's gonna be for the Clippers and the Lakers. Okay, I I agree with that statement. Um, for sure, the Clippers have the advantage because uh, they're gonna be able to lock up Jamal Murray. They have so many different people they could just throw at him, and we've seen that it's been a Murray and Jokic show. So if you lock up one of those two, you're you're shooing. Uh, Lakers, I'd rather not play against the Rockets. I've I've shared my disgust with their play, <laughs> this whole bubble, and I just don't want to see. I don't want to play against them. Um, James Harden is an artist when it comes to drawing fouls, and the Lakers are very prone to getting fouls. So I just feel like we'll have more difficulty playing with their style, playing against their style of play. So I'd rather not face them. I'd rather face the Thunder. I think. Even though we're going to destroy them, it'll be more enjoyable to see Chris Paul. And maybe Chris Paul might think, oh, let me leave the Thunder and come to the Lakers next season. Um, I think that'll be more enjoyable than watching the Rockets play. I don't, I don't want to play against Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Even though if we did, the Lakers still would win. Again, it's important to note that this is – we're recording this on September 2nd. So by the time that this comes out, the Thunder or Houston would be in the second round already. So – Basically, what we're saying is it's it's not going to be that difficult of a series for for either the Lakers or the Clippers. But just a, a few more numbers here on Nuggets. Locking up Jamal Murray might be the most important thing because he joined MJ as the only players in postseason history with three straight 40.5 rebound, excuse me, and five assist games. And... During the span where he scored 142 points in three games, he only had five turnovers. And the only players with more points than that, obviously Michael Jordan and Jerry West. And during this entire series, only four players have ever had multiple 50-point games in the same series, playoff series. Jordan in 1888, Allen Iverson in 2001, and Murray and Donovan Mitchell in this series. And... Donovan Mitchell, he played his heart out last night, and he just played his heart out the entire series. And that's why the Jazz are finalizing an extension with him, as they should. They should lock him up, and I feel like with him and Gobert, maybe if they can get Bogdanovich back, because that's another 20-point score, they have a better shot of making it past the second round, or at least the first round. I definitely think Mitchell definitely deserves his money. I think he's... He's that franchise's best hope since, honestly, since Jerry Sloan and, uh, and you know, Carl Malone. Really? You don't think uh, Darren Williams, the dude who was giving Chris Paul a run for his money, deserves a little bit of a acknowledgement? Like, no, I think, I think the, Mitchell, the Mitchell Gobert era is going to be, be even better than the, uh, the Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer era. So I, I, think, mm-hmm. I, think, I think the uh, – I don't 
I still don't think this turns into a championship, but I think they're gonna get they're gonna have a couple of years where they get really deep. I think Utah is gonna be a market where like it's gonna be hard to attract free agents no matter what. So I think this next this deal will you know last until you know Mitchell you know feels the age and will eventually go to a contender. But I'm talking way too far in the future here. Slow, slow your roll there, man. Hold <laughs> up. Uh, I got a couple of things to say. So first of all, uh, Utah, nobody wants to go to Utah. So of course, no you're going to give him this max contract. Mm-hmm. But to just, uh, we just, we just, we just going to throw dirt on Darren Williams' name. Like he was <laughs> a top three point he, guard for a majority solid. of his career. Solid. He was solid. Solid. Oh, 20 oh. and 10 a game, bro. Come on now. He 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 made the Olympics, bro. Like he That's was on the true. Olympic team. You you can't discredit Darren Williams. There was back and forth between Chris Paul and Darren Williams. Darren Williams was a beast. Attack. A, we got to factor in, bro. Ten years ago is a, a totally different NBA. Oh, yeah. Shoot, five years ago is a totally different NBA. And this guy was putting up twenty points and ten assists a game on average. Now I'm. He, probably around that 18 points 19 points i'm rounding up 20 points 10 assists a game mm-hmm. i i can't sit here and say like we just that's like donovan mitchell is the best player since carl malone jerry jerry uh jerry salone uh, john stockton, <laughs> oh, john stockton. <laughs> but yeah john stockton but okay. darren, darren williams was awesome like i had to give it to him but um, I like that I, I like the fact that you brought up this point with uh comparing um jamal murray's points um over this span of three games to Jerry Jerry Salone again, <laughs> Jerry West and uh, Michael Jordan. And I was listening to our episode of last week, how we were talking about Luka Doncic, and I just had to bring this up. Uh, like I said, today's a totally different NBA game. Mm-hmm. No offense to Jamal Murray. He, he went off, but – I just it's, it's something different about these players and their stats and their averages and them going off today compared to the previous years. And I don't know if it's just because I I don't I haven't lived through the time periods that these players have played. These older players have played, but I've watched a lot of these games and we noticed the difference of the, of the two. So it's just it's not that it's not it's not a, that appealing to me. Like it's not popping to me. Like. The game is so different. You're you're you have so much freedom within the offense for him to do this, and it's it's just not that appealing to me. Like I can't compare him to Jerry West or Michael Jordan or Allen Iverson right now. It's just uh, Donovan Donovan Mitchell's is a little bit different to me compared to Jamal Murray. I, I, I don't think he's the defensive man or what. I really agree with Jarrell here. Like, to, like you, you're definitely right. I think the game is much more perimeter based today. I mean, like guards are given much more, like much bigger opportunities, and simply guards have become better at shooting the three ball. So I mean, like it's to me like the you know it's it's good. Yeah, sure, you he exploded, but it it isn't as impressive to me like as what Kobe did like ten years ago. Because even ten years ago, like like the game was like even in like 2010, the game was like it was still much big, big man oriented. So it was much harder to score, especially from downtown. And, and, and you know, that, that is completely opposite today. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, like I wasn't even, you know, if you remember Devin Booker's like 70 to what was it? 70 point game. I wasn't even impressed by that because guards are given more, much more opportunity to score. So I mean, it, it, this, this honestly wasn't as, as, as impressive as like people would want it to be. It, it low key feels like, 
for lack of better terms, like empty stats. Like he got that yeah. 70 point game and what did it result to? A loss on yeah. a, a horrible team, like on a horrible team. Like if we compare it to Kobe's team, Kobe was leading his team to the eighth seed with garbage, Smush Parker and Kwame Brown and the he, like he, they won. They won the game. Like there was very vital moments where he was going off and hitting shots left and right. I just, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. And Murray, he did this. And it was like a struggle. <laughs> like it was a struggle for him to 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 to, to um, get these wins over the Utah Jazz. I don't know. It's just it feels different. And, and by the way, on the Kobe thing, like you know, and Kobe almost nearly took out the number one seed that year. He he got them. You know, they he, the Lakers took the Suns to seven to seven games. Right, so, and I mean, and didn't get MVP. Yes. Right. Well, two quick updates. Right. So we we're talking about Durant Williams and his. In his few years with the Utah Jazz, he averaged 17 points and nine assists on 46% shooting from the field and 35 from three, shooting 80 from the field. So that's pretty solid numbers. And then another update, the Bucks, oh, they're down 0-2. They fouled Jimmy Butler with no time left, and he sunk two free throws to win the game. It's 116-114. The, the Heat had seven people, seven players score in double digits. Season's over. Yeah, I was. that was actually one of the things that I wanted to talk about because the Heat dismantled the Bucks in game one, and they've, they've played extremely tough defense, defense that we've seen in, like, the 2012-2013 version of the heat though you know the frenetic really quick switch out everything aggressive defense that we saw with the with the big three heat and they're just carrying that over now and they're giving the bucks so much trouble and it seems like coach bud doesn't really know how to what adjustments to make and i you know jimmy butler went off for 40 the last game, and then he had 13 this game, which, you know, as you would expect, because Giannis is defending him, I think. So even with Jimmy Butler scoring sub-20, and they're up 2-0 against the Bucks, do you think Miami is going to be a problem, provided that they, you know, beat the Bucks and whoever they face in the conference finals, potentially think- even the finals? I, I we kind of discussed this before the show. Um, Gian, like Giannis's run in Milwaukee's, I mean, it's it's a tad better, but it's quickly becoming like what LeBron's early days in Cleveland were, him and a bunch of dudes. So it's it's honestly not surprising that Miami's beating the Bucks 2-0. I mean, I mean Chris Middleton, like there's debate if if even he if is, is a proper like number two guy, and the Miami like, yeah, yeah, he's he's not a number two at all. And, and, he's getting paid like one. Miami just has better, like Miami has just had more options around options around Jimmy Butler. So I I think if the if the Heat wins this series, I actually think, oh, it's it's going to become a Celtics Heat conference final. Ooh, Wait, what is this? Twenty twelve, twenty eleven? What's going on? I'm going to take the Heat over the Celtics in that one. Uh, dang. All right, G, you want to add on to this discussion? Yeah, um, the Bucks are they're screwed. <laughs> they don't have uh, shot makers. Chris Middleton ain't it, and you got the the Giannis stopper formula because Giannis doesn't have any counters to what he wants to do. And I don't know why we're expecting him to be a 
clutch performer. That's not his game. We've discussed this before the show started as well. He plays like a big. He is a big. He can handle the ball, but you're a big. You know what I'm saying? Kevin Durant may be able to handle the ball, but he's a three. He's a four. He's not going to be your point guard. He can bring the ball up, but that's not his primary position. Know that. Okay. So, I agree with you, Daniel. It's going to be a Heat versus Celtics uh, conference finals. Yet, the Heat aren't taking the Celtics out. I, I'm, I'm a Lakers fan. I don't. I despise the Celtics. I don't like them. Yet, like I said, and I'm going to keep preaching this, they have the weapons. They have the weapons. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker. That's a big three right there, in my opinion. And they stepped their game up. Every year that they've been in the league, they've stepped their game up in the playoffs. Marcus Smart, we got to factor him in, too. He steps his game up. He might not give you 20 points every game, but he's going to do all the necessary things need to be done that the superstars may not want to do. Yeah, he had, he had five threes in the fourth quarter alone in the last shout, game. Shout out to IT, Isaiah Thomas, too, because he gave him a shout out on Twitter. Exactly. And like I said, the X-Factors, the Celtics got X-Factors. I wasn't throwing up across X-Factors. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, yeah, and I just think that they're making it to the finals this year. This is their year to make it. And we and still – Gordon Hayward's coming back. Exactly. I was about to bring that up because that's another 17, 18, maybe 25 points that they're missing. And they're handedly dealing with the Raptors. They destroyed the Raptors in game one. We're talking about the Celtics. And they beat the Raptors in game two by three points because of Kemba Walker's great step back on Serge Ibaka. So – if you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown going off for 25, 30 plus per game, plus you have an additional six, 20 from Kemba Walker, plus you can get whatever from Daniel Tice or Marcus Smart or whoever, that's a pretty friggin' tough team to beat. And if I'm a, if I'm a fan of the I, Raptors... I think it's going seven games. Personally, I think it's going seven games. Okay. Well, let me get into that real quick. So if I'm the Raptors, I would be slightly worried. Actually, no, more than slightly. I'd be very worried. But at the same time, they've been in this situation before because last year the Raptors were down 0-2 and they went back and beat the Bucks in four straight. So They had Kawhi. And Danny Green, who could actually hit. So He on the Lakers. Yeah. I, I, I just playoff, <laughs> playoff Danny Green is a thing, and – We've the Spurs have seen it, the Raptors have seen it. We're just waiting for the Lakers to see it. I I also want to bring this up. Like Jimmy Butler, like I think his career, like you know, he's been on mediocre teams before until like at some point, like until like last last year. I think his career has been building up to this moment. Like he he finally gets a chance to go to the NBA Finals, and it's just not. It's not to say the Celtics aren't motivated. Oh, the Celtics will be motivated. I just think Butler, Jimmy Butler, will be the most motivated man on the on the court when when inevitably I think the Celtics and Heat finally meet up. Um, one can say Kimball Walker is motivated. He ain't never been this far. Ever. He's been on a, one of the worst teams in the league. <laughs> the, the worst team in the league. Seven seven and fifty nine. Consistently, bruh. Like so one could say Kimmel Walker is motivated. I, I also you gotta remember like Jason Tatum has a like a whole career ahead of him. That don't mean nothing. You acting like he don't have a mentality, a killer mentality. We've seen it through the through the season. He's had game uh, spans of games where he is looking like the man down the stretch, hitting buckets. <laughs> you ain't we've seen this before in players. We've seen that doggy dog personality within players. Shoot, we've been blessed to have it for 20 years in Kobe Bryant. Not comparing Jason Tatum to Kobe Bryant, but I'm just saying you can have it at whatever age possible. Luke, we even talked about Luka Doncic having it. You guys see that? Uh, speaking of Kobe and 
and Jason Tatum. Did you guys see that video that was spliced together showing Jason Tatum and Kobe Bryant doing the same moves? Because a few years ago, Jason Tatum said Kobe was his favorite player to watch, and he emulated him growing up. So it's interesting how he has seemingly taken that next step. Like, regardless of how he plays in, in the regular season, right, what matters is how you play in the postseason, and he is just tearing it up. I feel like there is no one that can defend him well, actually, no. There's one person that could defend him in the Eastern Conference because Sayakum or whoever's defending him can't guard him. They're just doing a horrible job because if they weren't, they wouldn't be down 0-2. And I feel like if, 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 if the Celtics and the Heat make it to the conference finals, I feel like Jason Tatum will outplay Jimmy Butler. That's just my take. Regardless of what happens, He's gonna. He's going to outplay Jimmy Butler, and I can see that happening because uh, I can see that as well. Because the Celtics on defense don't necessarily have to have Jason Tatum on Jimmy Butler. They can throw mm-hmm. Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and potentially Gordon, Gordon Hayward. Hayward. But looking from the Heat, the Jimmy Butler has to guard Jason Tatum, mm-hmm. so he can just exert all his uh, energy on offense. So I, I agree with you, Jared. Yeah, and. Also, a little thing to add on there, the Heat, they're not, even though they had seven players score in double figures, and they probably will have anywhere between three and five, maybe even seven players score in double figures in each of their games. I, I feel like if I, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, I would rather take Brad Stevens over Eric Spolstra in a series because Brad Stevens, he just has this innate ability to draw something up that other coaches don't necessarily see, I guess, if that makes sense, on the offensive end. And Spolstra, as great of a defensive coach as he is, I don't think he's ready for that. I mean, even with all the championships that he's won, I don't think that Spolstra has that extra gear, I guess, especially like out of timeout plays. I I feel like that's where Brad Stevens has Spolstra beat. I don't know if you guys agree with that. That's just my personal assessment. I mean, you guys can. It, it, I mean, it is it is obvious that Spolstra. I mean, is by. I mean, Brad Stevens. I wanted to say is by far the better coach. I, I. I guess I was factoring experience into the coaching matchup. It's just like Brad Stevens has struggled to get to where he belongs, but Spolstra has already been there, and that's why I kind of lean towards the Heat because Spolstra knows what to do in this situation. If if the Celtics handle business early and does doesn't allow it to get to those vital moments, I'm pretty I'm 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 ruling in favor of Brad Stevens because, like Jared said, he he develops those plays on the spot and he gets all of his. It's kind of similar to Greg Popovich, right? He gets the best out of his players at a given time, and he allows other players to be the light, the 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 savior for the game. There might. One, there might be one game where it's close and Jason Tatum gets the play drawn up for him. But Brad Stevens is not afraid to quickly have that play be uh, reversed to Jalen Brown. And I think that freedom, especially early in his career, with not the amount of talent and confidence that this team has now, allowed the Celtics to end up losing in previous years. But now this team, I think this is the best Celtics team we've seen, even though there's a lot of stuff that is missing as far as their bigs go. But their small ball lineup and the confidence that these players have, I think – that it's better for Brad Stevens and his coaching style. 
Uh, you know about Brad Stevens. Brad, I will say this: Brad Stevens has that quality. A lot of great, a lot of the all-time greats have. It's this is for, coming from a fan's perspective. Like a fan, like when it comes down to crunch time, like like you at the end of the day, you're kind of relaxed still because at the, like you still you have this great coach and you trust whatever he's cooking up. Like if you remember our childhood, like Jarrell, like when the Lakers were in close matchups, at the end of the day, we we thought. Hey, it's a close matchup. We have, we still have Phil Jackson. We trust him to cook something up, and if it if it if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So Brad Stevens does have that quality. I will give him that. Yeah, and that quality is going to be very important because there's a a lot of high stress games, and we don't know. Okay, let's let me rewind a bit because the Raptors are down 0-2, and they have won four straight against the Bucks, like we've mentioned. I feel like they have some fight left in them, but ultimately I see the Celtics moving on in six. Um, do you guys have something similar? Yeah, I, I just think I just think um, Toronto is outmatched here. I just think I will I, I will say here, like yeah, uh, I think to, Boston just has the X factors, man. They just have the stars to do it. I wouldn't be surprised seeing them get swept. <laughs> really, Ooh. a lot of I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I would actually see, I actually see Toronto sneaking one game in there. We're going to see in game three. Yeah. I think game three is going to decide. And the thing is, with the first game, the Raptors, they just couldn't hit. Same thing with game two. They just couldn't hit. If It's honestly one of those things where it's kind of like that Mike Conley shot in game seven. If it goes in, great. If it goes out, oh, like that really is – the main determining factor. Well, yeah, it's a game of basketball. If, if it goes in, you're going to win. But if it goes out, you're going to lose. But I feel like if they do, it's going to be a, it's going to be six, you know, Celtics. And we'll see what happens from there. And with you guys talked about how Brad Stevens was this kind of like relaxed dude in like stressful situations. With regards to stressful situations, the Rockets find themselves in one hell of a stressful situation because as of recording, they're facing off against the Thunder. And by the time this is over, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. We would have known who who won that series. But regardless of the outcome, regardless of if, you know, OKC makes it or the Rockets make it, is it fair to say that the Russell Westbrook experiment failed in some ways in Houston? Because I feel like it has Russell Westbrook is not the player to to put next to James Harden. That's my opinion and mine alone. I will live by that. He Westbrook is not a championship winning point guard. He's not even a championship winning guard. I that's my I actually, I actually agree with that, Jared. I just think the reason I I agree with and the reason I agree with you is that I just think Russell Westbrook is just honestly a bad teammate. Like look at look through his history. Like Every all-star he's been paired with has left him. KD, even though I hate his decision to this day, I understand. There was a reason. Russell got, you know, Russell wore KD out. Same thing with Paul. Paul wasn't really buying it into, into it either. And now we have this situation in Houston where they haven't exactly, they have had a solid season, but they haven't exactly lived up to the hype. And, you know, and plus, you know, Russ, you know, the years keep going and you never know what's going to happen to him, whether – if he starts to climb or not. And plus, um, they're going to – I think a coaching change is inevitable, and Mike D'Antoni is gone. So I think the, the Rockets experiment 
let's let's be honest. It didn't take him to the next level this season. It really didn't. I wouldn't put the blame on Russell Westbrook. I will put the blame on a coach. I think the the system and the way that they play is a fail. Uh, we got to factor in Russell Westbrook is an all NBA point guard. No matter how you scratch it, he's going to get you some buckets. He's going to play, make a little bit. He's going to rebound. I'm not even going to say a little bit because he's averaged a triple double two seasons in a row. Um, and he's going to defend. And to sit here and say, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm devil's advocate. Uh, but also, I believe it. But to sit here and say like he's he's the the poison for the team, I can't, I can't, I can't put that solely on him. Um, I feel like the Houston Rockets organization has failed to better equip James Harden with a team that's able to compete. So I agree with the experiment. Maybe it's not the best, but not solely because of Russell Westbrook. Yeah, uh, and to just to if you would humor me, right? The coaching style—that's who Mike D'Antoni is, and they had. I, I don't know if you watched uh, Russ the two the duo play earlier in the season, but these two somewhat coalesced a little bit, at least the turn of the the new year, because they were finding ways to to work with each other. Because we know Westbrook can't shoot; he can't shoot for shit. and he's gonna you know he's gonna start shooting bricks. No pun intended, but. <laughs> With the way that they – there was something that happened in the early year where Westbrook was averaging 30, Harden was averaging 30, and they just found a way to work. But for whatever reason, it just hasn't worked in the bubble. So it it begs the question, is it necessarily on the coach or is it on the players not paying too much attention to what the coach is saying? Because, all right, you say it's the coaching, right? Like a few would- years ago – I want to say it is the coaching because the coaching has an important role. He dictates the culture, dictates the culture and dictates the strategy. And he has the responsibility to get the players motivated and to follow his philosophy. But, okay, so to I ask a quick question. When did Clint, Clint Capella get traded from the Rockets? February, I think. So I feel yeah. like the Rockets' play style really changed around that time that we're talking about Russell Westbrook and James Harden finally finding chemistry, and now all of a sudden, once Clint Capella gets traded away, the chemistry between those two go down, and now Russell Westbrook's play is different and James Harden's play is elevated. I'm just saying. Yeah. and to, to, Okay, so to go off of that point, because Daniel made a, a point about the coaching, I don't know if you guys saw some of the clips that was going around Twitter regarding – Westbrook and Harden, but Harden didn't look like he was interested in the fourth quarter at all. He just checked out. And he, I saw another stat somewhere, I forgot who. The stat said that in the fourth quarter, in the regular season and in playoff games, Harden shot, I think, 20, between 25 and 31% from three point land in the fourth quarter. So, and it doesn't help that your point guard is barreling down at a million miles an hour instead of waiting, surveying the floor like a, like a point guard should and dictating what the offense should run based on what he sees the defense give him, right? Because that's my thing with Westbrook. That's why I feel like he's not a championship point guard is because he has two speeds, zero or 100. There's no in between. And that, I mean, and that's another reason why he's honestly – He's hard to be like I I don't I don't know what he's like in the locker room, like but that's why I kind of say he's kind of a hard like guy to work with and be a teammate with 
because like when when you, a player kind of has that mentality, like it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to get him to listen and and, and you know kind of get him to adapt. So that that's why like I think yeah I agree with you. He's not a championship player. Yeah, I agree with that statement. There was a. But I also was, feel like James Harden isn't either. There, every 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 postseason this happens. You know what I'm saying? He kind of. I feel like James Harden's in it. Like no offense to him, but he just want to have fun. He not. I don't feel yeah. like there's a drive. Yeah, I don't feel like there's a drive. Like I'm here to like win. Like he just. I'm just out there getting buckets. He doesn't have that. I'm gonna rip your throat out and step on your jugular type mentality that a lot of like Kawhi has it in in you know in in his quiet form. He has it. Jimmy Butler has it. LeBron definitely has it when the time is right. Steph Curry even has it too. Kobe was is obviously famous was famous for that mentality. Yeah, and Jordan obviously. So he lacks that killer instinct. I hate to sound trite, but he doesn't have that killer instinct that a lot of these championship players do. I mean, like, I, I hate to bring off his off-the-court activities, but l- just read up on all the off-the-court activities James Harden is in. Like, that, it, it definitely sounds like a player that, that doesn't really have that type of mentality at all. I, I'm, I'm not going to uh, use that against his on-court play because I feel like Lou Williams is a killer, and we saw what happened to him. Everybody's going to do what they got to do. They, they are human beings. I'm not going to say that. I'm saying on the court, what I'm seeing on the court, no killer mentality. I'm not going to use what they do in their free time. He doesn't have a judgment of, of their killer mentality. Go ahead. He doesn't have that that next gear, right? He doesn't – because if you see KD, I hate to bring him up, but against the Cavs in the finals, he had that mentality. He'll yeah. pull up by the, you know, by the left wing, and then he'll just drain a three in your face. It doesn't matter who's guarding him. He will drain that shot. I mean, if you, I mean, Jared, you probably remember vividly in the 2017 NBA Finals, it felt like he, KD was on a mission and he was, yeah, yeah. he was hot that series. And I think he believe, I believe he did win a Finals MVP that year. He did. He won back to back. Yes. Yeah, because Curry didn't win one. Yeah, he should have won in 2015, but that's neither here nor there. I wrote a, an article about that. I'm still kind of heated, but anyways. Um, Shout out to Iggy. <laughs> defense wins championships. Anyways. Um, but yeah, no, uh, you know, we're talking about point guards, right? There's no doubt that Westbrook is a fantastic point guard. Statistically, he's fantastic. On the court, the eye test may show something else different, but when when you're looking at these point guards, there's such a dichotomy between Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, right? Because Chris Paul is he's a leader, and Chuck Chuck Charles Barkley he said it best that Chris Paul is the best leader in the NBA, and I don't disagree with that at all. He's led this young ragtag group of lottery-bound players into the playoffs and potentially into the second round, regardless of what happens. He is fantastic. I mean, uh, I mean, your point kind of wants me to say this, and I, I, I think I kind of finally found the word, but it kind of, kind of goes with James Harden as well. The, the word. Just just by seeing how Russ has played on the court throughout his whole career, and as and especially that grudge season after KD left where he won MVP, I just feel Russ compared to CP3. Russ honestly is selfish, like on the court. He it's, I mean I don't I'm not gonna say he's selfish in real life. I don't know him in real life, but on the court I, I feel like he has his mentality. James Harden has his mentality as well, um, to to maybe a slightly lesser extent. 
but it's just it's more about it's about more about me and like I rather it just feels like especially during Russ's MVP season I felt like he was more focused on winning that MVP thing you know winning games for his team as a collective Chris Paul was different Chris Paul wanted like for as hard as he was around like to be around with he he cared about the team and he he was a very selfless figure on the, on those squads and he really wanted to win the championship I just don't feel the same for Russ or James Harden in comparison. I think Russell Westbrook is highly misunderstood. I, I, there's, there's, there's parts of his game where I can agree with, with your statement of him being s- selfish, but I think it's just more of like reckless play at times. Like, you know, okay, I'm going to attack the basket and then I have two defenders on me. I'm going to dump it off. But I mean, that's, that's kind that's kind of how we play. That's how you're supposed to play. His is just a little bit more rowdy. And like Jared said, it's zero or a hundred. So it just looks and feels weird, but that's his play style. That's who he is. He is very aggressive. And it's just like, I like to not, I'm not trying to compare him to a kid, but you know, he does a little baby thing, but that's how like kids are sometimes, you know, they want to play with ah, I'm really aggressive. I'm throw this toy at you and yada, yada, but you're not going to sit here. Oh, he's a bad kid. He threw the toy at me. No, nah, he just you, you just misunderstood. I feel like Russell Westbrook is really misunderstood in this league because he he is an amazing player, but there are flashes of selfishness that comes out. But I think it's due to his play style. So, regarding that, if he went sixty five, right? I, I tried so hard not to make an inappropriate joke there. So if he went sixty five or at least seventy percent, right? how much better do you think his teams would have been? Because personally, I feel like if he didn't go 100% of the time, every single time, they would, the Thunder or whatever team he's on, would have more success because it's not just a missed layup, an exciting dunk, or a turnover. It's more movement, more flow. Everyone else gets into the rhythm of the game. It's a more cohesive unit, right? Yeah. I, I do agree. I think his teams may have found more success. It would have like given like you know his teams in the past more opportunities to communicate one another and instead of instead of him alienating his alienating his teammates down the line. Oladipo too maybe. Yeah, I Oladipo. Feel, I feel like that energy is needed at times, and and I think if he can go in between sixty and seventy percent, um, we would see more like a Derrick Rose type of effect on your team before his injury, and. I'm glad that Russ has stayed healthy his whole career, but maybe he needed to experience some type of injury that allowed him to slow himself down and kind of change and positively affect his game. And he, he did, didn't he? Uh, Patrick Beverly crashed in him. He tore his meniscus, and then he had, I think, the following season he had a meniscus tear as well. Was it? How long was he out? He so the Patrick Beverly thing. He was out for the rest of the playoffs. And then the following season, I think he had another meniscus tear and he was out for like a few weeks. So nothing serious like a year? No, nothing that so those serious, are, those thankfully. Are, th- that's what I'm saying. Thankfully for it, but I'm just saying that maybe that could have changed his play style, changed how he attacked the game. And I think that's not – it's a minor injury compared to Derrick Rose being out for years. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sean Livingston being out for years. And I think that could have helped. Or even, like, we see Derrick Rose. He's such a different player now that it's even hard to imagine that this dude was dunking on Goran Dragic or dunking on Joel Anthony once upon a time, right? So 
right. maybe maybe a little bit of humility might help, but obviously we don't know him, but you know, it is what it is. Just a few more things here before we transition over to the video game portion of the podcast. Brandon Ingram won most improved as the Laker fans in this in this trio. Are you guys happy? Do you guys feel some sort of regret? Do you guys feel what do you guys feel, basically? Um, I'm honestly I'm happy for him. I think this year was honestly kind of a a breakout year. Um, I just think the situation for Brandon Ingram when he was in LA was kind of not an ideal situation because LeBron was coming in and like he was in a very win now situation. He needed that other that extra solidified All Star. And Brandon Ingram at the time he was still honestly like. He, he was still developing at that point when LeBron came in. He was still trying to develop his game to to the level that he wanted to be at. So I think I just think LeBron kind of came in at the wrong time of Brandon's development. And unfortunately, I mean, unfortunately and fortunately for us, um, that resulted in his his trade and relocation to New Orleans. So I'm happy for him. It's just like you know, I, I just think it was just timing. That's why it didn't work out in LA. I'm I'm happy for him. He absolutely deserved it. I know that on Entertainment's Paradise, um, I ended up choosing Bam out of Bayou, but we'll discuss that in another uh, another time. But um, yeah, he absolutely deserves it. And just to pick off what ba- what Daniel said, uh, we would absolutely thrive with Brandon Ingram now. And I know that when he was on the team uh, the last year, uh, we were kind of like, ah, oh, this isn't working, you know. But it, it was necessary. Brandon Ingram needed to shine spread his wings and it showcased now with this mip season almost said mvp and he got his first all-star all-star appearance so yeah absolutely kudos to him i'm glad to see i'm i'm always happy to see former lakers ball out but it just hurts because you want that when they're on your team you know it's interesting because you mentioned mvp he might become an mvp sooner rather than later but i don't know about on the pelicans though we'll see that's, that's zion's team He's yeah, in, that's he needs to go low key. He's in line for a massive extension, so he might get it. So who knows? But just uh, there's no there's no way to properly segue this. And I've been thinking about ways to segue this, but we haven't really talked about WNBA, and it's criminal that we haven't. But shout out to them. Shout out to the Seattle Storm going thirteen and three thus far. September second, we're recording this, but. I put this little thing here and I found it really interesting that the Las Vegas Aces, they have the second best, they're tied for the second best record with the LA Sparks, but they rank dead last with regards to three point shooting. And I say, I bring that up because WNBA teams have shot and made more threes than ever for seven straight seasons. And the past two WNBA champions led the league in three-point attempts. But like I said, the Aces, they're dead last. And the main thing that they thrive on is the free throw. They, they're making 81% of their 23.8% or free throw attempts, excuse me, that, and that leads the, the league. So I, I pause this question to you guys because some of you guys – have either stated you either love or hate the three point revolution. Do you think this might be the way that the NBA goes in the coming years? Just being more free throw centric. I doubt that that's going to be the case, but I'm just curious to hear what you guys think. I mean, there's, 
anomalies in every era, but um, no, I just think the way progress, I mean, this is just basic philosophy, but like, you know, I'm when I, I believe in the, in the concept of progress, when you go forward, there's, there's not really any way you can go back. So like, I, I think like the days of the traditional back to the basket, like I can only stay in this, in the paint, can't really go anywhere else type of big man is kind of done. Um, I mean, what the, uh, what the aces did this season kind of just, just really informs me that free throws are honestly the most underrated part of the, of the game of basketball, especially in crunch time uh, when you're, when everyone's starting to play more physical, but you know, I don't see the NBA going this way. I actually, I actually think the NBA is going definitely going towards like more perimeter play and um, positionless basketball. So yeah, I don't really think this is really anything in my eyes. Not to be honest. We're talking about, more free throw centric like i mean i can see the nba going towards that because look how soft the nba is with the foul calls you know even with jump shooter uh we're shooting jump shots they're calling for you know how many four point plays we've been getting in the past couple years so i can totally see it james harden averages how many free throws a game a lot a lot more than 10 and a lot of players are slimming down a set of aside from like Zion Williamson, but for the most part, a lot of our players are slimming down. Right, I know our, our much larger, bigger players, stronger players aren't getting the love. Uh, shout out to LeBron who attacks the bag basket uh, vigorously and doesn't get a lot of foul calls. But a lot of players are becoming more crafty. Shout out to James Harden, Lou Williams, and getting these foul calls. So I can definitely see the NBA going towards free throws because it's free. You're getting easy buckets. I can see it. The 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 relying on a three point basket is actually influencing this free throws a little bit more. And just to just to wrap up this portion, shout out to Courtney Vandersloot for setting setting a WNBA record with eighteen assists in the Sky, Chicago Sky's one hundred to seventy seven win over the the Fever. Um, she's currently averaging nine point three assists per game this season, which would break her own mark for the fourth straight year per Axios. So shout out to her. And we also give a shout out to Candace Parker, please. <laughs> Go for it, man. Go for it. I mean, she's got, she just cracked the what top 10 or she's number eight on the list for most field goals made in WNBA history. Mm-hmm. Versatile. Let's get it. I'm shouting out my LA sparks. Let's go. All right. And speaking of shout outs. Gamescom 2020, shout out to Gamescom 2020 for showcasing video games even during this time of immense stress and pandemics and stuff. Shout out to them for showcasing a few video games that I wrote down here that I think may capture you guys' interest. In particular, for Jarrell, there's a new Dragon Age game in the works. So, hey man, yeah. absolutely, bro. I've, I've, I've heard, I've seen teasers. I've seen the teaser video, uh, the Dread Wolf Rises. Uh, not to give you any spoilers, but there's a character that comes from the previous installment of Dragon Age Inquisition that's going to be revolving around this new game that's coming out. Um, I, I, I don't want to get too hyped for it because I've been wanting this game since I don't know when. Dragon Age Inquisition, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, came out in 2014 and we're in 2020. So that's been six years. And I read that there's going to be it's possibly going to come out in 2022. So mm-hmm. that's another two years I have to wait for it. And that's kind of irritating me, pissing me off because Dragon Age encompasses everything that I love within a video game. So 
of course i'm totally hyped for it can't wait for it to come out and i hope it comes out on the current generation because ps5 for right now yeah we're gonna get into the ps5 in a little bit but i just want to run through some games here that i thought were interesting uh ratchet and clank rift apart is looks fantastic it's coming out on the ps5 there's a new medal of honor game that's strictly on the oculus so good luck with that if you're really into like you know vr settings and whatever else i just i just think that technology i mean i admire i think ea still still has the rights to that franchise right medal of honor yeah yeah I mean, I mean, I appreciate their willingness to try a new strat, like a new way to play games. I just think that technology is just far from ready from from like that purpose yet. But I admire the risk. I, I can see that VR for me personally, that's not something I want to deal with. It gives me really bad migraines and makes me feel like shit. so. I'm not. I, I think that tech is honestly in, inevitable. So. Yeah, it's, it's gonna it's gonna eventually become very mainstream. Yeah, well, like when for, when we don't know. Right, but for now we'll just leave it in the back burner. Whatever. Um, Star Wars Squadrons looks great too. It's coming out pretty soon. I uh, hope it, I hope there isn't any microtransactions. There's gonna be microtransactions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Every and game is gonna have that. Maybe if it's well, well, we'll see. We'll see. But Dro, I know you love. You definitely love story-driven games, especially games that allow you to immerse yourself in the story. So the the Definitive Edition for Mafia, called The Definitive Edition, is coming out soon, September 25th. And, you know, if you're looking for something to play, I highly suggest that. I, I recently 100%ed Mafia 2, which is one of my favorite games of all time. The story in that, for a 10-year-old game, especially considering how it looks for a 10-year-old game, is top-notch. The story is gripping. The characters, you get to feel their their struggles and the reasons why they go about things. I feel like, even you, Daniel, if you're looking for a PlayStation game that's story-driven, that's probably one of the better ones to go with. I actually saw the gameplay that was released of the Mafia Def- uh, Definitive Edition, and like mm-hmm. I was completely amazed how beautiful the game looked. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as you all know, like I, I didn't, I cr- kind of grew up in a very anti-video game household, so I never really got my chance to touch on the Mafia. But knowing, also knowing that I'm a huge fan of like Rockstar and just open-world games in general, I mean, I, I think I would essentially, I think if I were to get to my copies, get a copy right now. I wouldn't really stop playing it for like for days because I love open world games that much. It, it's very good. Man. It's very good. Highly, highly, highly recommend. I can't say that enough. Speaking of games that look good, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War looks so sick. I personally cannot wait to get my hands on it. November 13th is the release date. And there's going to be like the usual offerings. There's going to be a zombies mode and there's going to be a beta when you pre-order the game. And apparently they're going to have open-ended missions with multiple endings. And I've been recently playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare Warzone, and I've just been loving that. Um, There's just something about it that brings me back to my days of being a beast at Call of Duty multiplayer, but that's neither here nor there. But that's coming out soon, and that looks great. Um, And go ahead. Call of Duty Duty hasn't honestly – it hasn't really been great – for for a while so mm-hmm. i mean like you, you know I, personally i'm not into shooters and i don't 
particularly care for Call of Duty because like when was the last time Call of Duty actually had a great campaign to it? It was it was like the you you have to go all the way back seventeen years ago in the first Damn. installment in the, in the whole series ever. Possibly, uh-huh. possibly you could you could say the first Modern Warfare game had a great campaign. Oh, it absolutely did. But ahead, that's Drew. not what it's focused on anymore now, right? Isn't yeah. it more focused on multiplayer? Multiplayer, you know, yeah. microtransactions. Yeah. Had it not been for Call of Duty Modern Warfare back in 2007, that revolutionized the whole multiplayer experience because it gave players the sense of creativity, this customization, this way of expressing themselves through weapon camos, as trivial as that sounds. It changed the way that multiplayer games were seen and how they played and how they were ultimately received in the, in the gaming community. So, you know, it's Call of Duty, Black Ops, Cold War looks sick. I'm, I'm going to get it sometime soon, obviously before, after it comes out, but still. But on to more pressing issues. Sony released a new PS5 trailer. Didn't really say much, but it did say that you can try and pre-order the console. Good luck, because there's still no release date or price. I know, G, you've you've made your your thoughts about the PS5 well known. So, do you think? I'm just I'm just curious to hear what you what you want to say. I'm not pre-ordering that shit. <laughs> I, I I told you I got my PlayStation Four two years ago. I need to use it at least five five years. It's like a rookie contract. Uh, <laughs> nah, and then it's just like the sneakers app. You feel me? It's just like the Kobe uh, gear and shoes and jerseys that drop. You're not. Why go through that? I'm not about to do that. You you should. I feel like people shouldn't try to get it as soon as it comes out, anyways, because you know there's going to be some issues with it. I mean, I'm I, good. I, I'm kind of agree with you, Drell. Like honestly, like I and plus I'm I'm newsflash. Like I'm broke. So uh, so. Uh, so that um, too, yeah, yeah. It's a pandemic. Yeah, uh, I think the system looks good. I think it's going to be a hit, but like with the, it's going to have the same problems as consoles, other consoles have when they first release. One, like there's going to be growing pains, and two, it like when a new console comes out, like there's there's not many games to come with it. So, and plus it's pricey. So I mean, I mean, I I I want to. I wish I could like have the tools to purchase it, but like. There's there's a lot of points out there to say like I'm probably not gonna buy this when it gets released. Yeah, and to go off of that point really quickly, Jarrell and I we were having this discussion about the Xbox Series X and the PS5, and the PS well the Xbox, there were speculation that it would cost around five to six hundred dollars because not worth it because not worth other retailers have had it and with regards to games, so. The Xbox Series X, well, Microsoft says that they can play thousands of backwards compatible games and you could also pre-order it and you have a an actual release month, November 2020, for the Xbox Series X, which for all the shit that we give Microsoft, at least they have a release date down. The thing with the PS5 is an over, quote-unquote, an overwhelming majority of PS4 games can be played on the PS5 but not PlayStation 3, PlayStation 2, or original original PlayStation games. Instead, Sony is going to be acquiring more studios to get first-party titles. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to work, but... They taking over, like, you know, 
their exclusive is, is, is amazing. And I mean, I know we want to play like the OG games, but they're exclusives that they, they deliver, in my opinion. I mean, with the OG games, you could, you could theoretically still play them on PC. True. And then yeah. with the price of the, this, this Xbox and shit, $500, $600, you might as well save up a couple more hundred dollars and try to get a PC. <laughs> I mean, I, right. I mean, I mean, like we're saying we're, we're here saying like it's not it's not it's honestly not kind of not worth it to even buy the PS5. What makes you think that's going to be different for the Xbox, the new new Xbox coming out? I mean, that's who, who honestly there's nothing enticing about. It, so and so two quick things about prices, right? The the Xbox Series X is actually going to have a lower cost version come out called the Series S. We don't know how much that's going to cost, or we d- and we don't know when that's coming out. But that what's the point of that? Nothing. There's nothing enticing. You feel what I'm saying? Like y'all ain't Nintendo Switch, Nintendo Switch Lite. What the f- bro? You might as well just have us have the lower cost one anyway. I'm pretty sure it's half that Xbox box anyway, because that's <laughs> big as a f-ing mini fridge. Come on now. Well. Whatever you, you think about that, that is an option that's coming out. And last thing here, speaking of price and things that, that may or may not be worth it, NBA 2K21 releases on Friday. There needs no to expectations. Be there, needs to be, there needs to be like more competition in the sports market in general. Um, if you guys saw over the weekend, like there was like people were pissed about the, the new Madden game. And, you know, people were declaring sort of drop, like a drop EA. So... Um, the, the whole sports market like needs to embrace competition because look at where it has gotten the sports gaming market. It has just, it has declined like dramatically in like ten years, and there were problems even even then ten years ago. So I mean like I like the, the some form of competition needs to return. Two K needs to make football games again. EA needs to make basketball games again. The sports industry needs more players, not less players. I agree with you, and I'm also always gonna say. I want my college uh, basketball and football video games back. But um, just to comment back on NBA 2K21, uh, Jared and I, we played the uh, demo. <laughs> it was garbage. It was garbage. It was garbage. It's the same game. And after listening to a couple of other points that were made uh, earlier when we were talking about other video games and the amount of time, this just popped up in my mind, the amount of time that, we take to make GTA five in the next GTA or in this case, Dragon Age Inquisition 2014 to the next Dragon Age 2022 2k really like, I feel like there should be a system in place where they're not creating a, a new game because it's the same anyways. Why don't you just do these things that we're doing already, which is updating it. Cause for the most part, why are we getting the new two K's right for the updated rosters and to play on an updated version with our friends. So they need to do this thing. I know it's going to be less money in their pockets, but I, it, it makes no sense if you're giving us the same game. And no, I have no expectations for this game because the demo already, the demo, the way that they're marketing the product, there's nothing to get hyped about. We've seen this shit five years in a row. I'm more excited for things that I'm going to do within the game. Like hopefully uh, a game mode that people, a lot of people might not even play or think about, which is the My League. That's what I'm excited for. I've got draft classes in my head. Like, mm-hmm. I'm building my own excitement for this video game, especially because I'm about to spend $100 on this shit. And the only reason why I'm doing that is because Kobe. And you can track back to last year, Jared. I told you I was not going to get 2K21. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I'm getting this shit is because of Kobe. I hate to end off on this note and kind of a depressing one on that. There 
when 2K made their, you know, annual whatever, just stating out how how the game, what's different from this year to, to last year, nothing of substance was included with the MyGM or My League. So probably the same one as last year and the year before that and the year I, I just think this is a problem like a lot of sports gaming franchise space. I'm a proponent of the rule like uh, new additions only come out like every two to three years. So it gives time developers to actually focus on the game instead of rushing things out. Yeah. I agree. With all that being said, the sun has actually set and it's dark as hell. But don't forget to subscribe to the Shooting Bricks podcast and leave a review on your platform of choice. It really helps us out. And lastly, make sure to follow us on at Podcast Bricks on Twitter and at Shooting Bricks Podcast on Instagram for all the news on the Shooting Bricks podcast. And as always, I'm Jerry Castillo. Uh, I'm Daniel Huang. Hey, uh, if for those folks uh, reviewing me, me specifically, I mean, get like you can you can give me a positive review. You can you can rip me. I don't care. I'm, we're just happy that you're going to review us. But yes, uh, I'm Daniel Huang, and with us, uh, <laughs> it's your boy, really real, Jarrell Sells, Wakanda Forever, Black Mamba, out. and we will see you next week. <laughs>